Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome back Paul Douse to the podcast. Welcome back, Paul. Thanks, James. Great to be back. So, Paul, you've been a frequent guest on quite a few episodes, you know, decision-making, risk, life cycle costing, all kinds of great topics, and it's great to have you back. But before we dive into today's topic, asset investment planning, I want to make sure people know who we're talking to. So, Paul, you are founder of so Paul, you are founder of CEO Asset Management, and you also sit on the board of directors for PMAC. Part of that, you have extensive experience in oil and gas and energy sectors. Although, very brief, what else can you tell us about yourself? Well, I guess, um, you know, for this topic, a good chunk of my experience um, was, you know, life cycle and investment planning. So for a period of time, I I moved out of engineering and I was responsible for assembling the capital and uh, operating projects um, across group operations. And and, and that work and some, some previous experience kind of exposed me to some of the some of the practices around asset investment planning and uh, helped me understand kind of what was the difference between, you know, um, good practice and, and best practice. So we'll be diving into a little bit of that today. All right. Excellent. So, you know, what is asset investment planning? Is it just life cycle costing on steroids? Is it capital management on steroids? What is it? Well, you know, the way I view it is it's portfolio management of, you know, a series of projects um, across kind of whatever boundaries you want in the organization. It, it could be uh, just your capital projects, um, but you can decide over what um, sites perhaps that you might want to apply this. Um, but the real key here is that you're looking at and you may compete these projects against, you know, asset run repair replacement decisions, kind of like what we discussed with the life cycle cost analysis, but it doesn't have to be just those types of projects. It could be, you know, business process improvements. It could be, you know, even outside of operations, you could compete against projects in IT and, you know, other capital projects in growth or, you know, a variety of different um, places. I, I think maybe for our conversation today, we can think of it as, you know, asset related investments, whether that's cap sustaining capital or even uh, competing with, um, you know, projects in uh, improvements in operations using OPEX dollars. That's probably the best way to look at it here. Um, But, you know, the organization as it matures can, you know, expand the boundaries and let these different projects and initiatives uh, compete against each other. And of course, you know, there's this is usually you know centrally driven or more more like uh, 
in combination with sites. So really what you're trying to do is, you know, effectively and efficiently allocate your resources. So your spends, your people to deliver maximum value within constraints. So you might have spend constraints, you might have people constraints, uh, depending on the organization's objectives. You may have multi-objectives that you may want to you may want to um, do your analysis on. I mean, the key of what we'll talk about is optimization. And, you know, optimization is one of those words that's that's overused a lot. And it really needs some context. So you're optimizing for what exactly um, or for how long. And you have to be clear what you're optimizing for because you can optimize for multiple objectives. But, you know, for each one, you kind of end up... Um, you know, making uh, compromises. So, you know, it's important that the way you optimize is consistent with, you know, what the organization values for its business results. All right. Excellent. So it's really optimizing based on what the business needs for results. Um, our operational improvements, our capital improvements, whether those are sustainment or replacement, it's really optimizing all those things to make sure the organization is able to achieve its objectives. That's right. Absolutely. All right. Excellent. So why do we want to use this asset investment planning? Well, you know, it's a a specific set of practices that we'll go into some detail. But, you know, there's been some research that has shown that, you know, the difference between what organizations have as their typical practice um, versus best practice can be somewhere in the range of eight to 20 percent. So, you know, just think of that, you know, if you have a company that, say, spends, I'll just use $200 million a year on sustaining capital. And, and that's the number that we'll use for that. If, you know, that 8 to 20% uh, represents 16 to $40 million each year that, you know, is wasted through value leakage just by not making the most optimum decisions. So, you know, what we'll see here is that many organizations have what I call a prioritization uh, scheme. Uh, to do their asset investment planning. So what that means is some type of, you know, simple deterministic point estimate, um, cost benefit um, type methodology that uh, is used to make its its decisions. Whereas what we promote here is a fully probabilistic uh, modeling um, that, you know, takes into account all risks and, and may have, you know, uh, multiple um, uh, variables uh, that go into that assessment. So, you know, this is one of those practices where it's worth jumping straight to kind of best practice, uh, if you will. Now, you know, investment planning and, and capital allocation is something that every organization does, but not all organizations do it really well. And, you know, most of them have uh, lots of opportunity to improve. The, the irony, of course, is that many op- many of these operations think that the way they're doing it is uh, is good enough. Um, you know, I remember a few years ago I was talking to a colleague and he was telling me how they were improving their their process. Um, but the way he described it, he was describing his to be process as basically where my organization had already been for quite some time, and I had this you know long list of reasons why even our practice wasn't good enough. So, you know, every organization's in a different place, but um, 
what I've learned is, you know, you're already spending time and effort and, and sometimes money to actually, you know, do this capital investment uh, planning. So, you know, it pays to do it really well and, and jump to straight to best practice. And in fact, there's some research that suggests you can even reduce your overall effort um, with best practice. So, you know, that's, should be compelling reason as well. So there's, there's lots of value on the table, um, and reasons why to kind of, um, use, use an optimization scheme. Uh, I guess the other thing about the value leakage, we have to acknowledge that this is an open system. You can't prove how much money you wasted, um, because, you know, there's no alternate universe with which to compare for any certainty. So, you know, this is one of those reasons why, you know, companies are scratching their head uh, when they do benchmarks, finding themselves in second, third quartile performance. Um, they, they just can't find where this value leakage is, but, you know, it's because they, they haven't achieved best practice. All right. Excellent. So, you know, we, this is really trying to eliminate that eight to 20% of value leakage that we're spending on all these investments. Now, what is this process to perform asset investment planning then? Is there a defined best practice process that we are, or what is it at a high level, what we're trying to achieve here? I would say there is a best practice and I I wouldn't necessarily say everybody agrees on it, but um, certainly I have strong opinions in this area. You know, I mentioned already, you know, the key difference between good and best practice is whether you have a prioritization scheme or an optimization scheme. So again, prioritization is, is deterministic. It's kind of single point estimates that give you some cost benefit, um, estimate and and usually the question that's answered there is what's the best set of projects we can do within a spend constraint and you know there's there's nothing wrong with that so typically what you do is you you understand what you know your 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 project is worth in terms of you know how much is it going to cost to perform and how much benefit you expect to do to get out of it versus if you don't do that project what kind of risks uh, would you would you sustain? And and really, you, you know, just a simple cost benefit analysis, you can take, let's say you had 100 projects, and you only had enough money for 50 of them, for example, you would line up all of your projects by maybe the cost benefit ratio, there's there's different ways to do it. But that's the most typical one, I think. And, and really, you just kind of go down the list first through whatever until the money runs out. So, you know, some organizations call that a redlining process. And, you know, you might do some horse trading, oh, we have to do this one, or this one's more important than that one. But, you know, generally, you're just, you're just using a prioritization scheme until the money runs out. And, you know, that's a valid way of doing things. But the key difference with optimization is you're actually using probabilistic methods. Um, you're, you're evaluating multiple alternatives to each solution. And, you know, as I said earlier, based on the organization's objectives, you might have more than one objective that you want to satisfy. You're actually doing some math to to come up with a fully optimized um, set of projects. And, you know, presumably, um, if you have good inputs into that, you know, you'll end up with a better set of, of recommended projects to go forward than you would have had with the prioritization scheme. All right. Excellent. So. We're really trying to optimize that, you know, value to eliminate that value leakage. You know, we're looking at all these different aspects, not just return on investment. That's ideally what we're trying to get to. Now, who is conducting this? Is it a site thing? Is it a corporate thing? Is it a combination of the two? 
who's doing it? Yeah, I think it's best done as a hybrid. Um, you know, going back to our life cycle cost analysis conversation, a lot of the inputs come from those, you know, individual project um, development. And, you know, again, it all starts with good problem solving, right? So, you know, I, I've seen in the past where, uh, in fact, when I was a manager of, of you know, life cycle investment planning, I'd see a project for $300,000 across my desk. And I'd ask myself, you know, that's the solution to what problem. And, you know, I'd go back to the engineer and, and talk to them about it. And, you know, they hadn't really shown the business case. Uh, in fact, in this, in this case, the engineering process didn't have kind of the business case development um, justification until after the project was selected to go forward, which um, that's crazy in my mind, but that's how it was. Um, but, you know, the point is that it all starts with good problem solving. Um, you know, I promote the A3 methodology. In this case, we're talking about evaluating multiple projects or multiple alternatives to that, to that uh, problem. So first identify the problem, then evaluate multiple alternatives. Don't just give me that one recommendation as an output. Um, I guess after that, uh, and I, I'll just one other little story. So, uh, you know, I know it at another organization, um, this kind of shows how people kind of fall into the trap of, of solutioning rather than good salt problem solving. So engineers would have, you know, a set of projects that they want to go forward with. But, you know, at this, at, in this organization, they had to go back and enter all of those problems as a risk in the risk registry. So, you know, it was kind of funny because, you know, these engineers had the solution all ready to be recommended, but they had to actually back up and 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 populate this risk registry, which, you know, again, tells us that we uh, they had the tendency to jump into solutioning and not doing good problem solving. So but once you do have your, your good problem solving, you know, there's a few techniques I mentioned um, before. There's the risk based methods of um Risk-based methods for equipment life management, that uh, ASME book that kind of tells you how to do it at the asset level. And then, you know, I've learned some other techniques since um, that help you evaluate and optimize at the portfolio level, um, which would be groups of, of projects together. So, you know, the fellow I learned that those risk-based methods from, he had a, a process called financial risk optimization, uh, which allowed you to evaluate multiple alternatives simultaneously based on those objectives. Uh, more recently, uh, I've become a big fan of Hubbard Decision Research, who also promote um, probabilistic methods of optimization. So, you know, there's lots of uh, tools and methods out there to kind of get um, the solutions, um, I guess, optimized solutions out there. But, you know, it all starts with good problem solving and there is some math required. But the nice thing about the probabilistic methods is you can actually use the results to, to understand what the sensitivities are. Uh, for example, you know, in a, in a prioritization scheme, you're often given a spend constraint, maybe by finance. Here's how much capital we can spend across the whole organization. Um, but if you use optimization methods, you can actually solve for, well, here might be a better constraint because you might be, you can actually quantify how much risk you're leaving on the table in terms of this spend constraint versus that spend uh, level. So, you know, that, and that's just a one of many examples of uh, 
of what you can do with optimization. You can you can really play some some uh, some tunes with it to really understand. I mean, uh, another way of of doing it is you can solve for different objectives. And if you have one project that you know, let's say you you solve for you want to optimize for the financial benefits over a long life cycle, say 20 years, and you come up with a set of recommended uh, projects to go forward, you could run a different um, uh, scheme that maybe prioritizes and optimizes for safety. So risk uh, um, reduction based on safety. Well, it turns out that, you know, if, if project, you know, number X looks good in both of those scenarios, well, there's a very high likelihood that you want to go forward with that, right? So any, anyways, I mean, long story short, you can use optimization and it becomes a very powerful tool to not only give you better answers in terms of recommended products to go forward, but it helps you understand your confidence in, you know, making those good decisions. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out iridicio.com for a free copy of their ebook, A Smarter Way of Preventative Maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.iridicio.com. So as we optimize and make these good decisions, does this asset investment planning allow us to identify, you know, funding excesses or deficits in certain years so we can move stuff around, maybe pull some stuff forward, push some stuff out as we work through this. Is that part of this process as well? Absolutely. You can, you can, you know, look at your optimization from the time domain and, you know, the, the better tools out there will not only tell you which are the best, you know, projects to go forward, but when's the best time to, um, to perform those projects. Right. Um, and that can be, you know, driven by, you know, just the way it does the optimization unbounded. Or if you have constraints, you know, that can actually direct when it's to be performed as well. And alternatively, if you don't, you know, if, if there's something that has to be done during a turnaround, for example, and a turnaround only happens in a certain year, you know, you can understand how much value you're giving up or how much risk you might be taking on by not performing that work in the optimal year as well. So again, looking at your portfolio investment from a, from a time domain um, certainly makes um, a lot of sense. And, and, and the optimization approach allows you to uh, do that. You know, uh, you'd asked before about, about the resources that are required to do this. And, you know, it is a hybrid, I think of, of, you know, both, you know, corporate um, centralized resources or enterprise resources versus uh, versus site. So, you know, both at site and, you know, centrally, I think there's roles for both practitioners and and operational leaders as decision makers, because really it's it's a game of uh, uh, gives and takes. Right. I mean, you may just because the model says here's the optimal scheme doesn't mean you have to follow that. Uh, but it does give you good guidance. But, you know, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is what's right for the company, which means that it needs to satisfy, you know, local site uh, objectives as well as uh, corporate objectives. So, you know, there are some competencies that the that the practitioners um, need to 
need to develop, uh, especially because it's you know probabilistic and and you know there's some there's some uh, modeling involved. So you know people aren't necessarily uh, good at understanding or assessing uh, uncertainty right out of the box. So that's a skill that can and and should be developed. And of course, you know how to use um, probabilistic methods and the modeling tools themselves uh, requires experience um, over time. And of course, you know, the leadership who makes these decisions, they need to understand, you know, where this information is coming from and, and understand our uncertainties about all the inputs. And, you know, so they require not just a dis- the final decision maker, they act as kind of the quality assurance um, keepers to make sure that you know no shortcuts are taken and and to really understand what are the what are the sensitive variables um, that we're talking about here because you know sometimes it makes sense to go and get more information to reduce our uncertainty about certain certain parameters that might go into this probabilistic assessment and you know that's something both the practitioners and the leaders need to be aware of because you know at the end of the day making better decisions under uncertainty means that we need not just the answers, but we need to understand our confidence around those answers and the inputs that go into them. All right. Excellent. So we need to have some confidence around those inputs, such as, you know, asset condition, a variety of other data points. But the one that seems to come up often for me anyways, is how does proposed regulatory requirements factor into this asset investment plan? After all, they are regulatory requirements we're going to have to comply with but they're proposed. So do we put a risk factor in our asset investment planning for those as well? Or how do we handle those? Do you mean proposed changes to regulatory and compliance issues? Yes. Yeah. You can certainly model that. I mean, you know, if, if you have, you know, for me, again, it boils down to your confidence in, in their certainty. Like if you have a certain policy, a regulatory policy right now that you're certain of, you can, you can put that in as a must do. For example, here. So here's the minimum that must be done, and then you could maybe optimize if it's worth doing anything over and above that. So you know maybe it's doing it more frequently, inspections. You know if you're talking about um, integrity type issues, um, you can certainly do that. Um, but you can also, um, and this might be its own self-contained analysis. You know you can assess the the, the probability of of policy changes. And what that might mean to your organization um, for whatever projects it might touch, right? So, you know, if the policy change results in more costs to the organization, you can you can assess those. Or, um, I guess, alternatively, you could you could assess what kind of risk that uh, poses for the organization if if no changes are made. So meaning if, if you don't change how you're managing your assets uh, with a new policy change, you can assess what type of risk you're taking on. Of course, assuming that you're not out of compliance, I suppose, but, you know, not there's not always, you know, pure black and white. Right. So um, there is some some, you know, need to understand that kind of gray area. And it's, it's worth doing because, you know, you want to make sure that you're in compliance at the end of the day, but you also are taking a risk that's acceptable to the organization um, and all of its stakeholders. All right. Excellent. So there's, we have our different approaches for that. Now I'm guessing that this asset investment planning requires different types of data. So what data do we typically need and where do we get all this? Is it in our CMMS or is it in other places as well? It's a variety of sources. So, you know, the, the data and information that, 
would go into, say, your life cycle cost analysis. That's where a lot of your data and information is going to come from is, is work that, you know, is, is maybe already done um, as part of that work, which we discussed um, previously. Um, but when, when you're starting to roll together into a portfolio a number of different, you know, um, you know, risks and, and projects, um, there's, there's, there's a set of additional parameters that's required. So now you need to understand things like, well, what's the, what's the, um, what's the enterprise's uh, risk tolerance and what are the constraints and are they true constraints or are they just kind of default constraints? Meaning, um, are you going to allow yourselves to maybe recommend a different um, uh, spend level um, or alternatively at least state the risk that you'd be taking on by, by performing one constraint versus another level of spend. So, you know, there's, there's a series of kind of, depending on how you draw your boundary around this portfolio, um, could be a series of, of inputs that are required to kind of do that optimization. And, you know, some of them are constants, like maybe the one that's, that's uh, always used is kind of the cost of capital, right? So that weighted average cost of capital which is, you know, how much um, it costs the organization to get the money to fund these projects, right? So, and, you know, I, I say that could be a constant. It also could be a variable, too, that you could, you could model. Uh, but, you know, there's a bunch of them. There's your constraints. There's, there's um, a whole host of different parameters that you need to use. And, you know, you could, again, you, because you're doing optimization, you can use them as a default starting point. Um, and you could maybe model them as uh, variables in and of themselves, right? Um, you're going to need things like, well, what's the what's the cost of downtime, right? Um, do you have any budgetary spend um, limits in OPEX, right? And it might not just be a capital play. A lot of these projects, or the more complex ones, have capital and operating um, um uh, constraints. Uh, you might have, you know, what's your risk tolerance, right? Um, could be safety um, risk tolerance. You could have a financial risk tolerance. So, you know, all of these different um, uh, assumptions or or um, constraints uh, need to be considered when you do your optimization. All right. Excellent. Now, one of the questions I also get asked often is how far out are we typically doing this asset investment planning? Is it a three to five year horizon, a 10 year horizon, 25 year horizon? How far out are we going with these? Well, I think it depends on, you know, the organization's time frame for its business planning. I mean, ideally, the, the, the data and information that goes into the into the um the modeling should be run out a fairly long length of time. So, you know, um, for the end of the life of the facility or the end of the life of the project, depending on um, how that along that is. Now, you may in your decision making optimize over a shorter period of time, say maybe three to five years. Uh, that happens quite often. Um, you know, in an ideal world, you kind of want to optimize over the entire life cycle. Like if you're if your plant or facility uh, is going to last 20 years, you'd love to make decisions on that basis. But sometimes the constraints that the organization has doesn't allow that. So, you know, um, 
you you may choose a shorter period of time, but you know again, it's it's worth noting um, what type of risk you're taking on um, by choosing um, to move off of you know what is kind of truly optimal. Um, is that what you meant? Yeah, absolutely. I liked how you mentioned you know we want that long term forecast. We're looking at that long term, but we're really focusing because we have more data, we have a little bit more certainty on the short-term stuff. And then we can look at how that impacts long-term. There's these different horizons we got to consider. Yeah, I'll give you an example. So, you know, there's one organization who they had, you know, they, they had long-range plans that did go out 20 years um, at the equipment and asset level. Um, but when they did their business planning, it was a five-year business horizon. And typically what they did was really look at and, and interrogate those first five years of that plan. And then everything else beyond that, um, they didn't really pay a lot of attention to. So what tended to happen, you know, for all intents and purposes, it was really just the first five years. And, and not only that, but they wanted... In, in their capital, um, in the sustaining capital plan, they wanted to spend about the same amount of money every year, give or take. Um, and they tried to smooth that out as much as possible. But, you know, the interesting thing is if you do your true optimization, it'll, it'll, it should tell you, you know, when you should do each of your projects in the year that it makes the most sense. Um, but because this organization was trying to make the spend roughly the same each year, they were actually... Um, sub-optimizing their plan and you know if you again doing an optimization methods you could actually quantify how much risk the organization was taking on by doing that and and whether it was worth it right so you know that's just another example but you know generally i think what we're talking about for asset investment planning and it does vary from you know you're in your business environment if you're like a regulated utility you may look a little bit longer than than if you're you know, maybe uh, in, in energy, oil and gas with a bit shorter time horizons um, and a bit more variability, perhaps, on a lot of your inputs and outputs. All right. Excellent. Paul, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us about asset investment planning. But before we go, what is the one thing you think makes the biggest difference in being successful with it? Is it probabilistic risk assessment? Is it optimizing um, based on the organization's objectives, what are the really major, what's the biggest thing we can do to be successful with it? Well, I, th I think to recognize, you know, what is the difference between good and best practice? Because as I said at the start here, this is one of those practices that, you know, every organization does. They don't always do it well, and, and there's usually room for improvement. But this is one with a modest, uh, you know, uh, similar to life cycle assessment. Um, with a modest investment in your people's competencies and some some tools, um, you can really um, step right over kind of from good, better, all the way to best practice in one fell swoop because you're already spending time and effort in this. You're already, you know, um, losing a certain amount of money through value leakage by actually not making the best decisions possible at every moment. So, you know, really... You know, the, 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 the funds required and the time and effort um, is really already there. So you're just making, you know, better use of your organization's resources um, to do this. So, you know, again, uh, choose optimization over prioritization. Excellent. I think those are great words to great, great words to leave this on. Paul, before we go, 
where can people find out more about you? Where can they get in touch with you? Where can they learn about learn more about you and your offerings? Yeah, so my website is coam.com, S-C-I-O-A-M.com. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so please look me up there. Um, I have um, been writing some articles on medium.com. In fact, there's one that's relevant to our conversation today. It's called Improve Your Asset Investment Planning to Avoid Value Leakage. And that article first appeared in PMAC Now magazine, the first edition. So you can find it there as well. But if you want to find it online now, um, look me up on medium.com. And uh, yeah. All right. Excellent. I will make sure to put links to all those in the show notes, including, you know, some of the stuff around Hubbard risk, risk management, uh, probabilistic risk assessment, all those different things we talked about. Paul, I want to thank you again for taking the time today. I definitely walked away with more information on asset investment planning. I think I need to rethink how I approach this at times. And I want to thank you. Thanks, James. Appreciate being part of this. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.